Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast, where we're trawling our way through the later seasons, episode by episode. Because, you know, I think they deserve it. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N-Hart, I thank you very much. And this week we are on to episodes 19 and 20 of the ninth and final season. Dragon Dropped and a Horse Shoe-In. The salt, the salt is over. The question regarding the two episodes this instalment isn't whether I like them or not, but how much I like them. And also, more than I recall, these are two episodes that both build somewhat towards the finale. Let's begin with Dragon Dropped, written by producer, showrunner, script editor, and bon vivant, J-Hab. It's Josh Haber. He's been about for a bit. The episode first aired September the 7th, 2019, and it receives a... 7.1 aggregate score on IMDb, where the synopsis reads, Rarity slowly starts to grow jealous when Spike starts to spend more time with Gabby rather than her. It's Gabby! Gabby's back! Of all of the returning cameos, which have been pretty gracefully implemented this season, Gabby is the one I've been looking forward to the most. I'm glad they found a way to crowbar this lovably optimistic ball of energy back into the show before it finished. She last appeared, well, in a prominent speaking role, way back in season six when she debuted in the episode The Fault in Our Cutie Marks, which was conceived by both J-Hab and the screenplay was written by Will Ye No Come Back Again, Ed Valentine. That's his wrestling name. Anyway, it was a great episode, and Gabby was understandably an instant fan favourite. Now, Jahab last left us with the rather excellent student council, and while IMDb seems to be a bit muted about this one, although not disapproving in any way, I think this is at least the match of that episode. In fact, I had forgotten how much I liked this. That's not to say it is perfect, however. I'll just get my minor bugbears out of the way to begin with, so I can get on with the important business of uh, lording this to the griffin-filled skies. Yeah, the effort in this final season is clear to see. The episodes look as lush and detailed as they have at any point in the show so far, and the voice performances by the main cast are as good, if not better, than they ever have been. There seems a self-evident focus and wish to make this as solid as it possibly can be a send-off. I would argue that in certain areas it perhaps goes a little too far. In what is the last probably rarity-focused episode, uh, the animators go all out trying to convey the melodrama of the character. And while to nowhere near the same extent, there is a sense at times that they go a bit too far into the gangly, ghoulish facial expressions. Now, this is a very crude, reductive and kind of unfair appraisal that I'm about to give, because this is not how the show should be viewed anyway. But this is always a show. 
you can pause on a character-based scene at any point and have a really good idea what that character is feeling, the basic emotional dynamics of that scene. Now, when it gets to episodes like A Trivial Pursuit, you can pause it at certain points, and it's probably a little confusing if you didn't know the script that was underpinning it at that point, what some of these characters are feeling. Uh, Twilight looks angry. She's not. It's just supposed to be an expression of hysteria. And uh, when it gets to that point, I think maybe they could pull back a little bit. There are some cases here where the season nine bone mouth gets a bit too much of an airing for my liking. And if that sounds like a minor criticism, it is. Because to be quite honest, the degree of expression that they give to Tabitha St. Germain in this episode is excellent. Most of the time, the wonderful voice performance by Tabitha and the work of the storyboarders and animators, for instance, I mean, I I do repeatedly probably illustrate how little I understand the intricacies of this process by just reducing something like this to the work of the animators or the work of somebody else. It is entirely possible this is the point where the animation has reached such a standard that it is as close as it will ever be to matching the storyboards, which are, from what I've seen, exceptional. So, yeah, it's probably just a personal niggle that it sometimes looks a bit too hysterical to actually convey the emotion of the scene properly. But again, only an occasional problem, and one that is certainly not going to hinder my enjoyment of an incredibly well-structured and subtly quite moving episode. Now, like I feel all of the best character dynamic episodes, which, well, probably basically all of them (laughs) at their hearts, unless it's a big good versus evil struggle episode, each of the characters in this ostensible triangle, their reactions make sense. They're understandable, even if we don't always approve of them. It is interesting that I use the term triangle there, because, well, obviously not supposed to be a romantic thing here. Doubtless, sometimes, the the jealousy that is instilled as a result of situations like this can probably feel quite similar. And (laughs) there is a clever bit of framing that sort of plays this up, I gather deliberately, where Rarity is watching, seething from a distance, as Spike and Gabby share lunch together across a table. Now, there's only one other table in view, and that has uh, Lyra and Bonbon on it. Now, I'll never overt, it seems one of the worst-kept secrets of the show that these two were kind of meant to be a couple. So having Spike and Gabby mirror their actions in the same frame, eh, I think it kind of suggests something, even if it's just inside Rarity's head. And then Gabby takes Spike's cherry. What? She does! Again, like all of the best episodes, this makes a great deal of its visual framing, of contrasts and juxtapositions, Even in the intro, this is evident. Now, the Habster is a bit of a dab hand at the thematically based intro. Now, expositionally, a lot of the dialogue in the cold open is not actually that important. 
It's basically just, Swike, do you want to go gem gathering in the caves? What is important about the dialogue and the way it's delivered is how excited Rarity is about this. Now, I think it was quite wise at this point to rely as a motif on the activity that we've probably seen Rarity and Spike do together more than any other. So for any long-term viewers of the show, this will be something that is associated with that pairing. However, in the past, where it might have seemed like Rarity was using Spike to get what she wanted and was sort of basically treating him like a beast of burden, here she evidently wants his company and appreciates his value. Well, in some ways, she is flattering him into getting what she wants. When she says that she wants her best basket carrier and personal bodyguard, both the performance and the script kind of ring with a genuine sense of her valuing him. Or at least that she knows him well enough to know what will make him feel good. Now, of course, the real wonderful subtext of this opening is the contrast between Rarity's enthusiastic invitation slash demand (laughs) and the stoic, distracted spike. Rarity sort of gurning and ghosting around the rest of the frame (laughs) while Spike stays stock still and you are just waiting for the payoff, which, of course, is that he's not really listening. There is lots of framing in this episode, which is the viewing from a distance, or viewing over the shoulder, particularly viewing through a window, which is a further degree of separation. And all of this not only adds visual interest, it obviously enhances the emotional subtext of the whole thing. Now, coming back to the characters having understandable motives, yes, what rarity does isn't great. And, yes, Spike allowing himself to get distracted isn't super either. But you can understand why it happens. Now, Rarity sees it as Spike having chosen Gabby over her, which is obviously a big gut punch. And when these things do come along and and shake up the status quo, if it's in a friendship or if it's in a relationship of any kind, it can be very easy when you're attached to somebody, to let it play on your own insecurities about yourself. Like you might have done something wrong, or you might not be as good as someone else. But at the same time, of course, this is a very controlling impulse. Rarity might be frightened that if she allows Spike to do whatever with Gabby, that she might effectively take him away from her. Now, on paper, Rarity shoving all of this stuff in Spike's way to prevent him from seeing Gabby does seem particularly mean and manipulative. The episode is careful to play on the fact that Rarity is reacting out of sadness, and she doesn't even really want to be doing any of this stuff for herself. She's doing all things that Spike would like. And in a lovely visual detail, when she comes to the door with the ogres and oubliettes game. She has bags under her eyes. She's too tired for this, but she's so scared of losing Spike that she thinks trying to maintain this is more important. This episode does walk a very careful line 
And if it was navigated less gracefully, it could have made Rarity seem very unsympathetic. But it, it hits a sweet spot where you can see the vulnerability, you can see the intention. And while it is ultimately Twilight who sort of probes and prods her in the direction of self-reflection, it is Rarity herself who comes to the conclusion that she has been unfair. I think what makes this episode so believable, at least to me and my interpersonal experiences, is that all three of these characters try. They all try. Not always to the best end. Rarity, misguidedly, tries all she can to keep Spike focused on her, obviously willing to go to the point of fatigue to do so. Spike, after having lost his friendship with Gabby, or so it seems, still tries to to do what will make Rarity happy and, and to actually maintain their relationship, although the sadness does ring through. And likewise, Gabby tries to be okay with what's happening until she genuinely and understandably feels betrayed. Because in the real world, people generally want to be okay with things, especially relationships. If they value somebody, they are probably more likely than not, at least initially, to err on the side of giving them the benefit of the doubt if they've made a mistake or done something that's upset them. The question is where the line is drawn. (laughs) While this isn't really Gabby's episode per se, which initially might be a little disappointing because she was such a huge presence in her debut, she is very well-picked, I think, here. Because she is, perhaps more than any other character in the show more likely to go to extreme lengths to protect someone else's feelings while shielding her own. But you do see her reactions while the others have turned away. And it hurts in a very relatable way, I think. There's a lot of believable and not overbearing pain in this episode. Um, But it's not a dark episode. It's just an episode that, that knows that sad feeling. And everyone is hurt by what happens here, and everybody does their bit to fix it, too. This careful balance goes beyond just the the character writing and the visual framing. There is a lot of symmetry in this episode, whether through recurring gags, like like the suspense of finding out who Rarity has, has got to help her in any given situation in Spike's stead, which recurs through the episode, and just provides a nice little bit of uh, extra dramatic interest in each scene, which could easily have just been an expo dump. There's also the idea of the purpose of an apology, where initially Rarity is somewhat irritated that Mother Ponies find it so important that she understand what she's apologising for, rather than just making the grand gesture in spite of that. By the end... She does the same gesture, but she understands why she is apologising. I am here to apologise, actually. More to confess. And all of this stuff isn't for Spike. It's the evidence against me. Evidence? For what? For my acts of utter selfishness. You apologise a lot. I wish I didn't need to. We also have the mirrored scene of Spike and Gabby flying away from Rarity. 
which augurs different reactions from rarity each time. The first time, she tears up. She feels vulnerable and alone. The second time, while she isn't fine with this, she still feels a pang that Spike has gone off and is enjoying someone else's time. She laughs at herself, in a way, and lets it happen. Because this isn't a cheapening episode like that. It's not everybody acknowledges their feelings, apologises, and everybody feels fine. Like most things in life, it's more learning to cope with your own emotions about a situation, learning to put them in their appropriate context and to boundarise them appropriately rather than just instantly feeling better. And I think that is very well portrayed by that, that little scene. Now, all of this symmetry just adds to the sense of purpose and careful planning that is very much part of this episode's fabric. It feels very self-contained. It feels very well measured out, well paced. As a result, there's not like a huge amount of individual little stray details because it all feels very neatly bound together. Speaking of neatly bound together, Twilight seems to be subtly coming back into her element as a guide in this. She has two chats with Rarity, the first of which somewhat backfires, but the second ultimately provides the impetus for the best outcome. And while this doesn't seem to be as common a role for Twilight as it as it once was, Twilight has been a tutor for some time now, and she will soon be taking on a far larger sphere of responsibility. And this is a role that will be reinforced in the very next episode, I think with an eye to solidifying the characters' roles, their overarching purpose before the end of the show. Stray Observations? William Anderson has some great scoring here. There is a lovely, rather moving montage that uh, silently shows Rarity and Spike doing things together. And then the inverse of that reflected with Rarity doing it alone. Well, it's more a couple of separate contrasting scenes. But the score for these is, is quite lovely. And there is some excellent backing music that I, I probably notice more than I, I normally have. Uh, maybe due to the emotional undercurrent of the episode. So yeah, more fantastic work from William Anderson. Also, nice to end the episode on a, <laughs> on a, on a slightly madcap gag that nonetheless also reinforces a theme, or at least a, a recurring motif which is Pinky, uh, so far apparently doing very well not to disturb the bats in the cave, which has been one of the biggest issues all of Spike's replacements have had when going to mine gems in the caverns. Gets a little overexcited because it's Pinky, and of course it does, and it ends in this flurry of bats. It shouldn't be forgotten, this, this, is, this is a very funny episode with a charmingly full-on... Tabitha St. Germain performance. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. This is in many ways rarity and spike at their best. At their most human and most relatable. The return of Gabby is not only welcome, 
but it's quite important to the mechanics of the story and she's very well chosen as i mentioned to be the character that is caught on the on the wrong side of this triangle overall this is just such a charming sweet subtly touching but also pretty funny episode just seems like a a great balance of a lot of strengths of the show really and is possibly for my money one of josh haber's best episodes though it doesn't perhaps shout as loudly as some of his others i think this is definitely one that merits a rewatch in fact it is only some uh, minor alienation on my part about some of the more wild and wacky grimacing in the app that really stops me from giving this a perfect 10. So, I guess it'll just have to manage on a lofty 9.5. It's not over yet. Right, back to school for another episode mining the apparently rich seam of the relationship between Starlight and Trixie. Liking both the increased exposure of this relationship this season and also the school balance. While, yes, as many have complained, it doesn't exactly make sense logistically, I think in terms of meeting out the stories and characters, it's probably quite wise to generally treat it as Starlight, Trixie, the Young Six, that's the school stuff, and the Main Six, especially gearing up for their new responsibilities, that's the Ponyville slash Saving the World stuff. A Horse Shoein was first broadcast September the 14th, 2019, and was written by Ariel Shepherd Oppenheim. She'd previously worked on some short films and a couple of bits of kids' TV writing. And now... Don't make the joke, don't make the joke, don't make the joke. She has become Pony, deployer of scripts. Uh, sorry. Still, you can't really even make that joke anymore. As she got married the month after this episode aired and changed her surname, so... Interestingly, uh, she's written an episode for the new series of Futurama. Anyway, the episode receives a pretty resoundingly positive 8 out of 10 on IMDb, where the synopsis reads... When Starlight is told that she will run the School of Friendship after Twilight becomes the ruler of Equestria, she decides to choose a vice headmare. They know how to pick them. This is another really strong show debut. Lots of confident character writing, understanding of the, of the main characters and their dynamics, and another episode that's even more than the previous one actually balances a standalone concept with the background arc of the season. Like the previous episode, Twilight is once again put in more of a guardian role, popping in occasionally to sort of prod ponies in the right direction without guiding them directly. Reminds me of some pony. Gotcha! We also have some nice little subtle seed sowing. Surprised I managed that. With Twilight continually being pulled away for duties and preparations relating to the the coronation later in the season is it the coronation what is it so she's being turned from princess to princess anyway yes she's being rulerized i I believe that's the proper term 
it is difficult to kind of divide out who is responsible for these sort of long-term plot references. It might well be Jahab in his role as a script editor. But still, the episode functions so well both as a standalone and as sort of subtle background preparation, literally and figuratively, that, yeah, I, th I think we should definitely give Ariel, deployer of scripts, the benefit of the doubt. Now, if I may clumsily use that Oppenheimer gag to uh, segue into some comments about exposition, because previously I'd had a little bit of a perhaps slightly irrelevant rant about that movie, as good as it was, and its reliance on telling rather than showing. Now, there is such a thing as good exposition, and in recent episodes we've seen quite a few examples. The opening to Dragon Dropped, where Rarity explains roughly what is happening, but of more interest is the way it's framed, and the subtext behind it, and the dynamic between the two characters. Likewise in the, well, otherwise not spectacular A Trivial Pursuit, there was the cleverly disguised exposition at the beginning of Spike rehearsing a speech into the mirror so he can tell us about something in a way that is organic and also provides a bit of character context. This episode makes use of Phyllis, <laughs> the plant, which is something of a contrivance, I must admit, to act as a sounding board for Starlight to share her thoughts. And it is probably quite important that Starlight works these things through on her own. She wants to prove to Twilight that she's capable, and Twilight has given her the, the run of the final decision. What's more, the episode has established that Twilight is rather busy, and so this is a hurdle that Starlight is going to have to face on her own, largely. And where in previous episodes where we've had characters speaking to inanimate objects to deliver context, it's felt very stagey. This doesn't so much, because Starlight is, A, trying to mull over decisions in her head. It's the equivalent of talking to yourself in the mirror. Does everyone do that? And also, Phyllis is given a degree of characterization, which is quite cute. At one point, it seems to somehow reflect its own lack of faith in one of Starlight's deductions by having a leaf drop. And later in the show, that is sort of subverted, where you're focused on it and you're expecting a, either a repetition or an escalation of the same gag. It doesn't quite happen, but it just shows what a kind of clever little tool it is. Could do without the wacky gag right at the end, which perhaps takes it a step too far and feels a little bit like tonal whiplash, given the rather more muted scene we've just had, but no biggie. So, basic premise, Twilight preempts the audience by answering a question that hadn't yet been asked, really, which is, okay, they're already teachers and guardians of Equestria. How are they supposed to be tutors and rulers of Equestria at the same time? That does seem a little bit like split focus. And the answer would seem to be, they're not going to be. While it's not made explicit that the others won't be teaching, it's certainly made clear that Twilight is not going to have time to be head mayor of the school. While ostensibly, the episode is about Starlight trying to decide who would make the best choice for vice head mayor, Will Sunburst still be 
voice, head mayor. Yeah. However, the episode is more focused on how to manage subjectivity and objectivity, your personal feelings versus logic, and the risk of hurting a friend versus doing the right thing. Chances are there'll be a point in all of our lives where we will, or already have, had to make a practical decision where our heart is in the way. Maybe you went with your heart and it all worked out. It's a believable quandary, and rather like in the last episode, the decisions aren't cut and dry. It's not as simple as Starlight knows she shouldn't pick Trixie. She genuinely really wants to have Trixie around more. It would actually solve a lot of her social issues in a way if she could have her friend around her more often. She's also basing it on the understandable logic that Twilight has always had help from her friends. And it's a school of friendship indeed. What's more, as abrasive and overconfident as Trixie can be, she isn't incapable. She does make mistakes, and yeah, I can see why her lazy field trip solution is a bit of a deal-breaker. But she never does quite enough to get her out of the running. She's certainly more appropriate than Mrs. Money bags, whatever her name is. Yeah, the makers of the show being pretty unambiguous about what they think about the pursuit of profit as the be-all and end-all here. Hasbro are mixed on that. But as sometimes happens, worrying what she will say to Trixie, uh, Trixie herself preempts Starlight by coming in and apologising, basically, for her heavy-handed dealing of a situation. So she is self-aware, and that puts her back in the running. It would in my book as well. She also stands up for one of her students. And while, yes, she stands up rather too aggressively, (laughs) Starlight is right to point out that this does show an admirable degree of loyalty and innate support that she will give to her students. It balances Trixie on the edge of becoming unlikable. But it doesn't spill over into that. It is always just clear enough why these two remain friends, and why, to a degree, they rely on each other. And hey, this isn't just the Trixie making mistakes episode, either. I can really relate to Starlight's outburst at the end. And it is a sharp one. Twilight's friends always helped her. Oh, that's because Twilight's friends are competent. They care about what they're doing, and they know how to do it. Well, I guess I won't take up any more of your time, Headmare Starlight. It's withering. It also kind of nicely recapitulates what that means for the younger kids who probably won't know what incompetent means without it feeling like it's being explained to them and without losing the flow of starlight's outburst so yeah good going but yeah she goes a bit far here it it, it does feel like whiplash and she knows it while in some ways the 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 conclusion is a little bit tidy trixie comes around very quickly perhaps a little too quickly but eh. i do think that sunburst is an obvious choice not entirely sure why it wasn't in the running to begin with but hey you wouldn't have had much of an episode stray observations Kathleen Barr is is on fire in this episode. 
giving just the right degree of obnoxiousness and almost adorable unself-awareness. She is a character I think you grow to love, even in spite of yourself. And it's, it's a funny episode. There are some great little exchanges. Uh, but yeah, a lot of that is Trixie. Or, well, Kathleen Barr on full bore. <laughs> yeah, it would be easy, I think, to question the curriculum here. What these teachers are actually supposed to be doing. But I'm kind of glad the show doesn't. I mean, it's never really explained what any of these teachers are doing at the school. Are they supposed to be teaching life skills? Are they supposed to be teaching friendship explicitly? Combining the two? Is it like a like a music school where you get both sides of an education? But I think all that's important in terms of the characters and the story is that everyone knows this is a school and the kids can relate it to their own school experiences. Lots of lovely non-invasive cameos as well. Good to see Grandpa Gruff in short doses and he provides a very good foil for Trixie in the parent-teacher evening. Again, you know, it makes Trixie more sympathetic because Grandpa Gruff is just nearly impossible to deal with anyway. Though she might have been able to pull back a little more, I think is the, the general acknowledgement. And we have the character that I assumed in canon was actually just called Time Turner, but no, no, Starlight calls him Doctor Who straight up here. So that's a, a thing. Oh yeah, also, student counsellor? Did I blink and miss something? I'm not 100% sure that that's a great role for Trixie. Little bit contrived, but... Oh well, what she actually does at the school is kind of less important than the, the conclusion that is reached at the end. The resolution of that relationship issue. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. Two really strong episodes today. Well, I don't think this one hangs together quite as well as Dragon Dropped. It is a really impressive debut story. And it feels like the work of someone who's been on the show for quite a while. It's a shame she never got the chance to write for the show again. It's funny. It's well balanced. And yeah, once more, it, it, it hits the mark as both a season nine arc episode and more importantly, as a standalone offering with a good message told in an unpatronising way. And just Trixie and Starlight are awesome, so there is that. 8.5. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? So, anything to declare. If you have anything pony-related you want to share, or possibly have me share on the show, please specify if you'd like me to do that. And you can contact me by email, all plotted out, at Outlook.com, all lowercase, all one word, all plotted out at Outlook.com, or get me on the Twitsters, at all plotted out. Thank you all for joining me. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, stay tolerant, and stay dear. Google's streaming gaming platform is now kind of acknowledged as a failure. However, 
Did you know that it was actually supported for more than three years? It tried. Ta-ra. Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for. 